people call out for change and working culture, but are met with money. And for me, it was a huge personal part of my decision that the, that the industry was somewhat tainted for me because I saw that the answer is money. It's not life. It's not work. It is there's there's a lever which is that how much can you work for how much money and those are the things you move up and down hi this is diana Brunel o'leary with tap talk weekly nathan Rissert was excited to join goldman sachs but as his job unfolded he realized the toll it was taking nathan is now a freelance writer living and working in london and he wrote an essay for New York Magazine about his departure from Goldman. Today we talk about his journey and hear his thoughts for college seniors who are about to make these big career decisions. Let's jump in. Hi, Nathan. Welcome to Job Talk Weekly. Hi, Dana. Thanks for having me. You quit Goldman Sachs last year, and then you wrote about it for New York Magazine. And I know Goldman Sachs has been in the news, as they tend to be, a lot lately. Why go public and write an essay about your departure? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question, and one I've asked myself lots whilst writing it and with the reception I got from it afterwards. So I think there's two sides to it. I mean, the first was it was very personally a way for me to work out how I was feeling when I left. I mean, I had my reasons for leaving. I knew what I was going to do, but writing about it afterwards was just a very personally self-reflective way for me to understand my motivations and almost put some closure on a two and a half um, year period of my life. But then of course, I could have just written it and then kept it locked away forever. So my decision to, to write it for someone else was, I've met so many people who have had very similar motivations to me for leaving finance, for leaving places like Goldman or other similar high stress, high caliber jobs. And I just wanted to, to, to tell that story to other people my age who maybe have gone down one track their whole life, have only had one narrative of what their career can be like, just to know that there is an option to do something else. Well, that's exactly why we are here, too. I talk with a lot of people who have changed careers, and that's what prompted me to reach out to you to share your story. So take us back to college when you decide you're going to go on, um, you're going to pursue a career in finance. What was that decision like for you? Yeah, so I, I went to university in the United Kingdom. I studied philosophy, so a humanities essay-based reading subject. I I came across finance because there were some societies in my university that promoted it. And at the time, my dad was working as a financial journalist, so I was somewhat aware of the world. And then I think I what happened was I formed this idea that when I leave university, I want to have a professional career. I wasn't interested in going to academia, mm-hmm. but I want to be in the professional world where where I think there are smart smart and bright and intelligent people. And I started forming this view that that is in finance. And later on, I mean, rightly so, there are very smart people there. But I I formed that view quite early. So what you do is you start applying for internships. I remember in my second year of university, I applied for 25 and ended up getting two. And then I started going down that track. I did internships. I received a graduate job offer on the end of it and started working for a firm called Schroeder's. 
which after two years I left and went to work at Goldman. So I really do think it was this, it was this belief that I like university, I like the academics of my subjects, and I like being surrounded by smart and intelligent people. So it was my conclusion of where those people were best represented out in the world. Yeah, and I think it is a very attractive field for a lot of people and even high achieving people. You write about that in your essay, you know, you run ultra marathons. And I would assume that a lot of the other people that you worked with at Goldman are also high achieving folks. So were the hours as bad as we hear about? Um, Because, you know, we hear the stories of people working 12 to 14 hour days, no days off. What were your um, conditions like? Yeah, I think so. I worked in the asset management division of Goldman, mm-hmm. which, when you hear news about Goldman culturally, or when you hear economic news from them saying things like their view on Bitcoin is this, their view on China is that, that's often coming out of either the sales and trading or investment banking divisions, which are the two huge divisions in Goldman. So I was slightly separate from those, and they are those divisions are the ones where definitely that hundred-hour work culture has been inculcated and is very much the accepted practice of life there. The thing about the investment banking side, which I've learned from speaking to people who work there, is that it's very it fluctuates a lot. So you read about hundred-hour weeks, but that's often to do with deals they're working on. They have very high stress periods and then somewhat lower stress periods where I worked it was consistently full-on is how I would characterize it and I think I think the most important thing to talk about here though is my my small experience of finance the four or five years I worked there was that everyone's hours are not the same in value that so I'm very I'm very hesitant to always talk about the how many hours a week are you pulling are you doing 60 70 80 I sat near plenty of people in my time in finance who pulled 80-hour weeks, but 20%, 30% of that time was not efficient. So I don't know, maybe that's a very unsatisfactory answer for you, Diana, but I think the important thing is just to remember not everyone's hours are the same during the day. Right, right. But at some point, it does start to take a toll on you. And um, so you talk about taking a break and then deciding not to return. And had you thought about quitting any time before that? And it was so hard too, let's be honest. I mean, you you were there right before the pandemic started. Yeah, I'd thought about quitting before, but I I think if you if you talk to juniors in in finance or at least those I've met in London, it's quite a common thought. Not necessarily quit, <laughs> It's a, it's a con. I mean, these are very, you know, career orientated, sometimes very money focused people. It's a constant, you know, there's a constant question of should I be doing better elsewhere? Should I change? Should I quit? Now, the decision to quit, kind of cold turkey and leave finance, is very different to quitting to go somewhere else. But yeah, it's, it's a big decision. And here, let me, let me tell you something. There's this there's this kind of phenomena that happens in finance and I'm sure many other careers every month. And it's this effect where when your salary, which is paid in the UK generally towards the third week of the month hits, you generally start feeling a lot more positive about your job. <laughs> so this first, the first three weeks of the month is this downhill decline of getting a bit more grumbling, grumbling about the work you're doing. And then when the paycheck hits, you say, yeah, sure, I can do another month of that. So how that relates back to your kind of original question is quitting is that 
I've met lots of people in finance who have these kind of micro fluctuations of positives and negatives about their job. And yeah, everyone's been in that down week or that down month where they think I've got to quit. And I think everyone has a little bit of that every once in a while. And I think part of the job that I do with people is trying to make sure that they have the opportunity to have a fulfilling job, that they know that that it doesn't always have to be like that, that every once in a while, yes, you're going to have that day um, at the first week of the month, right? Or you're going to have a bad meeting or a bad interaction with someone. But for the most part, the job should be giving you more than it's taking. And, and of course, you hit that point. But I, I do want to pick up on something that you wrote in the essay, because this is what prompted me to call you. And I'm just going to read the sentence here. I'll have a link for your essay in the episode show notes. But for people who haven't read the essay yet, this is the sentence that I think is, is so interesting. You said, back then, I was unhappy only in the way I assumed everyone who had a job was unhappy, knowing that ultimately there was probably something else I would rather be doing. Can you say more about that and your expectations of work at the time? Yeah, I'm really interested you picked up on this because I think it's been, you know, it's been a month since the article came out and four or five months since I wrote the most definitive version of it. And I, I wonder whether I'd still say that now, having maybe passed some time. I think what I was trying to say was that it's part of the nature of just us as humans and jobs is there's probably something else we'd prefer to be doing with our time. And that's what maybe you'd call your passion or the thing that gets you up in the morning. You know, for some people that's kids, for other people that's fishing, other people that's playing football on a Sunday. So maybe I'm, I was kind of conflating these two things thinking, you know, jobs are a necessity for many people, for most people. And there's always something else that would be better, whether you want to call that a dream job or a passion or a side hustle you have. The job is a facilitator of other things in your life. And I think when I wrote this piece, I was feeling so alienated from my work, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, so far from what I like doing and my identity was so far from my job. I wonder whether I'd say that today. It's a, it's a big generalization. I'm glad you pointed it out because there are people I've met who seem pretty happy in their jobs, even in finance, even in places like Goldman Sachs. Yeah, and that's true. And that's why I do think that there are people who love and who are just, you know, they're, they're driven um, by the adrenaline rush. And you can still get an adrenaline rush writing and doing other things, but it's a matter of finding the match for you. So when you made the decision to quit, I'm curious, though, did you keep it to yourself first before you told the company or did you share it with anyone in your family or friends? I shared it with my partner, who I live with immediately, um, and we'd been discussing it for a while. I mean, we kind of knew the moment was was coming because I, I, a couple of months before, I had what you'd call a burnout, and you know, at that point, you start thinking, is this the time I need to pull the plug on the job I'm working in? So, so my partner knew I was going to do it, but then I think it was actually just one Monday or Tuesday morning I called one of my two bosses and bosses and just laid it out very clearly and said, um, I'm quitting. Let's, let's get the ball rolling on it. Yeah. It was very, it was very immediate decision that was backed up by a lot of thinking before, if that makes sense. It, it does. And it sounds like when you did rip off the bandaid, uh, as we might say, did you feel relief? Were you sure like, yes, I just made the, the right decision or was there any regret that week? No, to, I mean, 
it's the scariest decision when you lead up to it and then when you do it you, it's incredibly minor so there was no there was no well there's there's no regret there's deliberation because i'm a thoughtful person so i'm always constantly analyzing the past and the future so there's always these thoughts about alternative realities what if i stayed on another month what if this happened but i just i just knew at the time and because i quit so abruptly i've been asked by lots of my friends who are on similar paths or whatever you want to call it journeys towards maybe leaving their job or their corporate life and they always say how do you finally make that decision and i give a very unsatisfactory answer which is just you just know at some point you become self-aware you listen to your body and you just know you just know it's right yeah i don't think there is an exact formula if you keep thinking about it day after day and then one day you wake up and you're like this is this is it this is the decision so when you wrote the article obviously you got some reaction tell us about the range of responses to the essay i should say that you put out in new york magazine yeah it's been it's i was um it came out on december 29th and i was visiting my family in the west coast of america at the time and we were we were skiing and we were driving back the day it came out on an eight-hour road trip. And I was on my phone, on LinkedIn, on my app all day watching as I just got messages coming in left, right and center from I had current MDs at Goldman, ex-MDs at Goldman. I had someone who worked in the, the Canadian logging industry messaging me saying they resonated with it. And I was just, I was just astounded because it's a very niche job that I did within, uh, albeit a large industry, but very small compared to the grand scheme of the world. And it was just quite incredible how the topics resonated across industries and across people. Yeah, logging. That is fascinating. And MD, are you, you mean managing director? Yeah, so managing director, the most senior, the senior title you can have at a, at a bank. So you had a lot of support, which must have felt affirming at the time i mean did that give you some relief that you that you did the right thing it's yeah that's a that's a good question i think it's bittersweet because it was affirming to me personally that i did the right thing and that i was able to convey my message and what i felt was truthful and honest the situation it was disconcerting the number of people who messaged me saying they related to it and they felt all the things I wrote there because yeah. that means there's a lot of people who are unhappy or yeah. whatever, whatever they want to call it. So it was bittersweet in a way because it was nice to hear them able to connect with someone about it, but not nice to know that the problem was more systemic than I was aware of. And that they're still there. And I should say, when I say you did the right thing, I should say you did the right thing for you because that's always the key. But you must have heard from, from some people, and I must say that I, I sort of gave in and looked at some of the comments online, which is not representative of uh, you know opinions that matter, perhaps. But some people might say, well, you know, this is Goldman Sachs. You knew it was going to be demanding. So do you think it was that you knew it was going to be demanding, but then you didn't realize that it just wasn't the right fit for you, or you didn't realize how demanding of that would be or what that would take on your body and your mind and soul. Yeah, you're, I think you're right to look at the comments that there's a long discussion going on on the New York Magazine underneath the article. And that's the most interesting part, the one you flagged up, which is that the people, people are incredulous. They're saying, how could this person possibly, someone supposedly intelligent enough to walk in those doors of Goldman, how could they be so stupid not to realize that 
that's what it was going to be like and that the sole motivation was making money. And I think it was either, I think it was kind of a naive optimism on my part that it was going to be meaningful that how, I thought, how could there be so many people here who just wanted money or just wanted to climb the career ladder to the detriment of their body or relationship? Not that that is the case for everyone, but that I thought there must be something else to it. I thought also, I think, I'm sure I'm sure it's similar in the US. There's an incredible marketing machine behind financial services and banks targeting university students. They naturally want to attract high caliber students. So throughout my time at university, I was going to corporate presentations, going to meet and greet dinners with with banks. And you get perhaps a very unrealistic view of what that industry is like presented to you in order to hire you. So then when you get there, the disillusionment can be bigger. Yeah, they do make it really appealing. And I remember those days because that's part of, you know, I was a business major. And then when I was in human resources, I was recruiting uh, finance and accounting majors. So I, I get that. And that also reminds me of the junior analysts um, who became quite popular in 21. It sounds like almost the name of a band, the junior analysts from the Goldman Sachs. But there was this uh, well-circulated PowerPoint presentation where these recent grads uh, put together, I don't know, I, I don't know how you would describe it, a presentation of how they were feeling, their hours, and um, the breakdowns that they were having, and that circulated. So can you talk, without getting into too much detail, of who, I'm not asking for who said what, but what was the reception like between you and your colleagues that a group of recent hires had put together something for management to talk about the working conditions and to try and get better outcomes yeah so in february 2021 a group of analysts in the investment banking division put together i think it was eight or nine page presentation you can if you google um goldman sachs uh junior analyst survey it's probably the first thing that comes up oh yeah it does it comes up quite easily yeah it's 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 been very a very popular read i think and it's a it's a it's a corporate presentation in the style of Goldman Sachs, where they surveyed a number of juniors um, on how their working experience has changed over the recent year, how they feel, how their workload has transformed, and then it gave a lot of personal anecdotes about how people are feeling in terms of physical well-being and mental well-being, and it was basically. A, a call from a group of junior analysts decrying their conditions and trying to prompt change within the firms. They sent it to their managers and obviously it went up the chain to the high, far, far up the firm and it leaked as well to the press. And there was this huge response across the industry. So, I mean, it, in, internally at Goldman, the CEO made some steps to enforce things like the Saturday rule, which was meant to safeguard analysts time between 9 p.m. on a Friday until Saturday morning and made a number of 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 talks and sort of voice notes out to Goldman Sachs about what the culture is like and how it's going to be. And I so I was there at the time whilst this happened. And the distinct thing I remember about it is he as the CEO made a statement saying that, you know, everyone still has to go the extra mile for the client sometimes, even if you feel like you're reaching the limit. And that is what drives a difference in performance. So it was a very, in my, in my view, it was a very hollow response because people called out for change. Some change was brought in with a massive caveat that 
there are no rules really on junior analyst time. Well, some of the change was also material, like bonuses and pelotons and and throwing things at them to make them happy in the short term. I also envision after the Saturday rule came out, which, you know, again, people can search because that was pretty um, widely spread online, that on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. that your email would be inundated. I mean, is that what happened? Did Sunday then all of a sudden become the new Monday morning? Yeah, I I don't know. I, as I said, I was in a different division and I was, I generally got better at time over not looking at my emails on the weekend. I think everyone receives Friday, Saturday, Sunday emails. If you work at a place like Goldman, it's just a matter of the nest, the necessity to respond to them. There are different divisions and different teams as there are in any bank or any industry where the expectation may be that you need to pick it up or not. And like I was saying, these the survey came out of the investment banking division where if you're working on a live deal, say a merger between two companies, you very much will be expected that that weekend needs to be worked on. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry. No, go ahead. I would just say it's interesting as well you bring up the monetary aspect of it because, yeah, one of the big reactions across the industry because the the, the the survey came out at Goldman, but then all the banks kind of realized it was a, com- a commonality across their workforces. So what you saw is other banks just raising salaries to, to I think, what is historic highs for junior analysts. And, and then in the recent bonus season, they've been compensated massively. So it's this, it's this strange situation where people call out for change in working culture, but are met with money. And for me, it was a huge personal part of my decision that the, that the industry was somewhat tainted for me because I saw that the answer is money. It's not life. It's not work. It is, there's, there's a lever, which is that how much can you work for how much money? And those are the things you move up and down. Yeah. So the week after you quit or the day after, I just imagine you sleeping for three days straight. Tell me what your first week home was like. <laughs> well, I saw I saw out um, because I wasn't leaving to a competitor or or anything like that. I saw out my four week notice period and actually was responsible for transferring a, lo- a large amount of my work over to other juniors in the team who were already incredibly busy. So it was actually quite the the two weeks after I quit was quite stressful in terms of actually itemizing every single thing I did on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis and handing it over to other people who I felt somewhat bad about handing it over to. Yeah. Um, but then as, as time passed, naturally, you, you, you as my four weeks of notice period ended, I had very few responsibilities. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was a great, uh, it's very cliche, but it's a breath of fresh air. It was just great to finally have some perspective. And I think I told my partner at the time, when you you know when you're a junior working in finance, you're very focused on what do I need to finish by this afternoon, this evening, what's due tomorrow, what's due the end of this week. Maybe you can have the foresight to look to two weeks after. Mm-hmm. When I quit, it was one of the first times in a long time that I could thought I could think, what am I doing in two months? What am I doing in three months? I could actually sit down and set some goals that were beyond getting through the next two days. What a luxury. That sounds like the the benefit of time is what you gave yourself to think about what you wanted to do. So what was that like then the the first few days after you didn't have to go in, you know, you pack up your stuff, you're gone, you've you've handed over your spreadsheets to another poor soul who probably looked at you like, "Thanks, Nathan." Um what were those first few weeks like? Did you just take some time 
to breathe or did you immediately start thinking about what I'm going to do next? Because I, I do get the impression that you are that personality of the person that's always, you know, your mind is always churning. You know, you're not going to be uh, inactive for very long. Yeah, you're, you're spot on there. I mean, I was already drafting up the long lists of things I need to achieve by by year end and that, <laughs> that week after. But um, no, I think I just went straight. I, I spent two or three weeks just reaffirming. I thought the two or three weeks after I left would really be a really important time to reaffirm what I want the rest, the, my next two or three years to look like in terms of what do I value in my spare time. So I was just reading loads. I was getting out to museums in London. I was seeing friends. I was, I'm a very keen runner. So I actually joined a running club fairly quickly after quitting. It was the first time I'd wanted to join a running club for years. And they generally in London train at around six or seven in the evening, but I couldn't make that whilst I was working. I was too tired. It was too early. So I joined a running club. So I, I tried to just reaffirm all the things that I then wanted to keep going for the rest of my life in that first three weeks after. It sounds like you were living. Yeah, I was living. I was, uh, and of course, you can't live like that forever. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not an influencer. I don't have all, <laughs> all these passive income streams flying in. You've got to work at some point. But yeah, it's important. I think that's important. It was just to reaffirm what I want life to look like and have in it when I start to build up a career around what I'm doing now. Yeah, so you had to have the pendulum swing the other way because you had swung it so far into intense work that it you didn't really have time to think about other things. You couldn't, you know, run with other people. So then you had to sort of swing the pendulum the entirely opposite way where you just gave yourself a couple of uh, weeks to breathe and live and enjoy. And so now have, do you feel like you've settled somewhere in the middle where you've got a more reasonable um, balance of work and life? Yeah, I think I've I've swung I've swung in a very different direction. I'm working as a freelance writer now across a variety of magazines and starting to do some other business writing for more traditional finance firms. So I've gone from a very structured to a kind of more precarious, more up and down changeable life, but the my ability to retain the constants, whether it's running or cooking good meals for myself or going to museums on the weekend in London. I've I've reevaluated, as many people have during the pandemic, what's important to them. Oh, that sounds so refreshing. So in our final moment here, if you were talking to a college grad who is sitting through these presentations, and it's not just about Goldman, it could be about any uh, big company that they want to work for. I mean, what would be your words of wisdom for someone who is just now thinking about recruiting, you know, their, their first job out of college? Yeah, God, um, I would say... Whatever you're doing, whether you're, if it's a college graduate or recent graduate trying to work out what job they want to go into, just just take take a morning or take a couple hours and write down what you're what you want to get out of it and why you're going into it, because then a year later, two years later, you can look back at that and see whether it's still the same. I stayed in finance longer than I probably should have because I wasn't aware of how much my actual work had changed from what I thought I wanted in the first place. So whatever whatever that person wants to do, whether they're thinking of going working in an NGO, the government, finance, whether they're going into academia, 
take an hour, take two hours and just write down what you're expecting from it. Because then you can actually rationally assess later on whether it's meeting, exceeding or falling short of expectations. Well, thank you, Nathan. This has been so interesting and I just so appreciate your time. Thank you so much. No, thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening to Jab Talk Weekly. Leave us a review. Let us know what topics you want to hear. And we're always on socials on Instagram and Facebook, Job Talk Weekly, and our website, jobtalkweekly.com. See you next time.